Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. Make some noise for Vision Sunday. Who's coming to Vision Sunday? Make some noise. All right, there wasn't enough hands that went up in the air. I don't know if you can get to heaven if you don't go to Vision Sunday. I'm not even... Not even going front. I'm not sure. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just not sure. No, one more time. Who's coming to Vision Sunday next week? Make some noise. Great, man. I mean, I don't know what else we could do to let you know. So if you were planning on being out of town and you can't cancel your vacation or your flight, uh, we understand. But we'd love for you to be there and bring somebody, man. I really feel that um, God is uh, speaking to our church right now. And I'm in this space where I'm starting to understand as I get older, it's really hard to be happy if you're not living in a reality that used to be a prophecy. What I mean by that is that sometimes we pursue something that we're not sure or we're losing doubt or faith about what God is saying, and then we get that thing and it's not enough. The only thing that makes the things of life that you pursue enough is if God has already revealed to you that he's doing those things. And so I want to encourage you today that God is doing something, and we have to tune our ear to what he's doing. And, and when you're in a region, there's a purpose for the region. So you would have an individual purpose for your life, but God has not put you in L.A. on accident. And I'm pretty sick and tired of people acting like there's something wrong with L.A. There's something wrong with everywhere. Like, like Texas ain't the cool place to be, and California's Babylon. Anybody says that to you, don't, don't receive that. God has a calling and a purpose on every single place and every single person. And uh, you just might have to have a little bit more faith to get a house here than Kansas. Uh, matter of fact, you're going to have to have a lot of faith. I'm going to have to dump oil on you. Come on, man. Anybody in the condo, shout to the Lord. You in a five-bedroom in L.A., we're going to have to start anointing people with oil. In Kansas, you get a house without faith, but you're in Kansas. So I, I'm just, just saying... Anybody from Kansas, by the way? Oh, no, I'm my bad, my bad. Wichita? Jesus. Wichita. I have family that lives in Kansas, so I said that. They would say, you should come to Kansas for the summer. Why would I come to Kansas for the summer? Like, for the whole summer when I was a kid. Come to Kansas for the summer. I'm like, no, I'm good. Good. Vision is important, because what you see determines what you do. Um, I heard that somewhere. Oh, Macy said it last week. That's like, she's great. She's amazing. Shout out to Macy. She's amazing. She's awesome. I just stole her point from her sermon. But um, this is so embarrassing. So I'm just looking at this binder right now. So last service, I couldn't get it together, and I was crying at the end of the service. And this service, there is tissue in this binder (laughs) that wasn't there the service before. It's not used. Praise God for that. But they're expecting me to cry. So I'm telling you right now, your boy ain't shedding a tear. I'm taking this as a challenge. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. We're going to read a short few verses here, and uh, I believe that we're going to have a good time where no one's going to cry. I'm just already speaking life over myself. This is uh, the writer talking. Um, His name is James. Uh, if you couldn't get that, because the book is called James. I don't know how much you read your Bible, but James wrote the book of James. And so he says this to a bunch of believers. If you claim to be religious, somebody say religious. 
but don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. It doesn't say that your religion isn't as good as someone else's. It says that if you can't control your tongue, your religion is absolutely worthless. So you can have perfect theology, and you've been studying the Bible. You've been tithing on your birthday money since you were three, and you've been to multiple prayer gatherings and worship gatherings, and, and, and you are just clean, holy, and righteous. But if you do not talk to people a certain way, the Bible would suggest that your religion is useless. Somebody say useless. Then he goes on to describe religion, and then he says, pure and genuine religion. There's that word again. In the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I'm going to preach a message today called, It's Time to Get Religious. It's time to get religious. Uh, religious uh, religion has a bad rap. It has a bad rap to me. Like, I have a really hard time. I have to pray God's grace and mercy for people I deem to be religious. Anybody grow up around religious people um, that I grew up around people so religious that I never heard about Jesus, never heard about the Holy Spirit, never heard about grace, never heard about love. The only thing I knew about God is that God don't like ugly. Anybody else? Like that was your family's theology about God, that he didn't like ugly, and that was it. And I was six, and people were telling me God doesn't like ugly. Not that he saves, not that he is the way and the salvation, but that he doesn't like ugly. And if you wanted to please God, you had to do, do less ugly stuff in, in your life. And I grew up trying to figure out a way to follow Jesus while detesting people who were judgmental and religious. It was why it was so disappointing when I first found out that I was called to be a pastor because I thought I was partaking in something that I had vehemently hated growing up, which is not Christ, but religion. Because religion represents something to me, and it might be a trigger word for you where you, when I say I'm, I'm religious or religious people, and when we're hurt by church, we're, we're hurt by re, religious people, but I want to kind of reframe this a little bit because in order to be successful as a Christian, you need to actually be religious. And the reason why we're rejecting religion is because religious people think that religion is the way that they want it to be. When I mean religious, I mean they want you to be who they want you to be. But Jesus is breaking down a few profound things where he says, if you don't watch how you talk to people, your religion is worthless. So when those religious people trying to tell us that God doesn't like ugly and they're judgmental and they're talking to us and they're talking crazy, their religion in that moment became worthless because of how they were speaking to people. But then it goes on and unpacks it a little bit more and it goes and it says that pure and genuine religion is caring for orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. Now, can I be honest? I am a pastor of an influential church in Los Angeles, and I have never once prayed for God to use me with orphans and widows. Not one time. I want God to use me for big things, huge things, awesome things. At the end of this service, uh, you're going to get a chance to do something that I believe is profoundly going to release a move of God in your life, and, and I'm going to be able to keep a promise to a friend of mine. 
Because pure and perfect religion is, is how we care for the orphans and widows. And I'm becoming concerned that we are looking for a faith without religion. Religion just represents what you diligently do. Religion is discipline. I don't want to be a church where I see people with discipline more successful than people with faith, but they lack discipline. Discipline in religion represents the things you do when you don't want to do them. Because you can see your wife or your husband, and by faith God can speak to you that that's who you're going to marry, but the moment you get with them, guess what shows up? Discipline. Religious. I mean, if you're going to be in shape, you have to religiously work out. If you're going to be faithful in your marriage, you have to religiously say no and turn your eyes from other people. If you're going to start a business and you're going to be successful at your job, you need to religiously show up for work. If, if you are going to get, make it in the business, you can't just stop because you don't book the first five auditions. You have to religiously audition, religiously study and, and memorize the scripts, religiously show up to set, religiously wait on your scene to be shot, R religiously. There is a discipline that I'm afraid we lack when we try to figure out how to have faith but not do simple things of discipline. We all know how to believe for finances, but when financial peace, our money class shows up on the screen, we're like, no, nah, I'm just believing for provision. Lord's believing for you to jump on Indeed, man, and get a LinkedIn and get a job. But we try to separate discipline and faith. And I really believe from the bottom of my heart that God is asking the church to, to have a little bit more pure and perfect religion, which is based off what we do for other people. I've had a couple of weird encounters, like, with a couple of Bible college students. Like, we're in L.A., like, not too many people go to Bible college here, but I've been traveling recently. And when you meet a young person in L.A., even if they're a believer, they want to be used by God often to do really big things, like influence people, the industry. It's never small. I've never met anyone in L.A. young who says, when I say, what do you want to do? They say, orphans. But I, I went to a couple of places that had Bible college students, and one Bible college student, he was 22 years old. I said, hey, man, what do you want to do when you get out of Bible college? He said, I don't know. I just feel like the Lord's calling me to Romania. I said, Romania? Jeez, like, what you, what you going to do in Romania? And I was like, he said, I don't know if you understand, like, the poverty that is happening in Romania right now. I said, of course I understand the poverty that's happening in Romania right now. I have no idea the poverty that's happening in Romania right now. I just didn't, you know, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. So poor, Romania. He's like, yeah, just praying for God to open up a door for me to live there three years and help, like, orphans and people in Romania. I just, you got to pray with me to find a place to stay. I'm like, what? Well, go to another Bible college student and say, hey, what do you want to do? He says, actually, I'm going to take a break from college because I'm going to be a missionary for the next two years. I'm like, really? I'm thinking he's going to go, like, pass out Christmas gifts and, Tijuana, you know, like how church mission trips, we do the easy stuff for the Instagram flick. <laughs> like, we literally go on the mission trip to put it on the gram. Oh, I'm, oh, my bad, am I offending somebody? <laughs> like, it's not about them, it's about us. Look at us on the ground here. Stop, stop. 
This kid, we didn't put on his Instagram. He went, yeah, I'm going to be in Pakistan for two years. I said, Pakistan? Well, you know, there's persecution and people over there, and I'm just going there to partner with what's happening on the ground in Pakistan. I said, you know they could kill you. He like, I mean, this kid's 23 years old. He wants to go somewhere, and he's willing to die for his faith. I'm like, that's not me. I want to reach entertainers, <laughs> NBA players, artists, and musicians. And then when they get successful, I take a photo with them and put it on. <laughs> well, I'm not a celebrity pastor, though. I just love celebrities. <laughs> this is really funny. This is way funnier than you're laughing. Because I'm getting convicted like, oh, my God, I, I I've never once tried to have pure and perfect religion through how I care and what I do for other people. Isaiah 1, verses 13 through 17, God says this about church services that were happening then. He said, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. God doesn't want the offering. The instance of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations, your big Easter services and your donut walls, your new moons and your Sabbaths and your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered in the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourself and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. And then he says this, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans, which is people without a dad, and fight for the rights of widows. God seems to get frustrated with people that are really good at believing and really bad at doing. Really good, I'm believing for it, but what are you going to do? What are we going to do as a church? I was asked a sobering question this week. If your church closed with the city care, Would the city care? Or would you just lose the building to host conferences and bring other church people here? What are we going to do? And I'm telling you right now, as your pastor, it is my responsibility to tell you that that big dream that you have in your heart is going to require religious discipline. Doing the right thing in the sight of God to the best of your ability. I'm not talking about being perfect. There's, of course, grace, but having a heart to do something good. At the end of this service, we're going to have a profound opportunity to, to, to help some, some kids who need some, some help. And I've been praying about this for months and gave a good friend of mine my word that I would do this some months ago, and, and we're going to be here at the end of this service. But I want to start to you because I want to read the rest of these passages so you keep that in mind as you have this opportunity. We're going to be able to sponsor some children who really need some help. And I want, to, I want you to keep this in mind as I read these scriptures. I'm going to tell you some things that I feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted me to tell you. That, and one of these things I'm about to tell you, you might not have heard from a church leader or a pastor. It's in Deuteronomy 14 verses 28 through 29. 
It says, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe. Somebody say tithe. 10% of the income or whatever it is that God has blessed you with. Bring the entire tithe into the local church so your pastor can do whatever he wants with it. No, that's not what it says. It says bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it, some of it, to the Levites. Who are the Levites? They are the uh, priest. They are the people who are doing the ministry. And the reason why they want you to tithe to what at that time would have been the local church, and this is not the whole thing, it's a portion, is because God had told the priests that they were going to spend all their time ministering and none of their time tilling and farming and blessing the land. So just to catch you up, Theologically, everyone in Israel got a portion of the promised land, and the promised land was their business. The promised land was their marketplace. It was how they made money. But God did not give a piece of the promised land to the Levites because the Levites were supposed to spend all their time praying and seeking God on behalf of the people. So God said, make sure if you're in this place and God is blessing you that you return some of that to the temple because there are people in the temple who don't get to go out and close the same amount of business deals that you do because they're called to ministry. So bring some of that. But notice it doesn't say bring all of it. Have you been told bring all? Hey, if you don't give 10% of your income to the church, you're out of alignment, you're cursed, your, your finances aren't blessed, and, and that is not true. Because it says give some of it to the Levites as well as the foreigners living among you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So when them people are coming across the border, give them some of your tithe. You ever heard that in church? You know why? Because we're afraid you won't give. And if I tell you the truth of God's word, somebody in here is going to be relieved. Okay, cool. I gave my cousin. My cousin needed a new alternator. And he is from Honduras, so that counts. Praise God, I don't have to give to the church. <laughs> so we don't tell you that part of the time. We don't tell you that the Bible says that because we're afraid you'll actually do it. Oh, my God, this is good. Okay, so you can give some of your tithe to the church and some of your tithe to the foreigners. Anybody giving their tithes to foreigners? You can, especially if they're destitute and the orphans, and the widows, the church, the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. The church, the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. So if the church gets all the money and the foreigners don't get anything and the orphans don't get anything and the widows don't get anything, the scripture would suggest that not all the work of our hands is blessed because we are giving a one-dimensional tithe. Whatever blesses the church is all that matters. And this Bible says that it all counts. Somebody say it all counts. So I'm going to tell you something that I'm, I'm actually nervous to tell you. You're going to have an opportunity later at the end of the service to sponsor a child. And if you give a portion of your income to the church, you are allowed, and there's no more margin in your budget to sponsor a kid, I would ask that you would deduct from your tithe the amount that you're going to sponsor a kid and sponsor the kid, and it counts. Somebody say it counts. Can I free you from the pressure that 
it's got to come straight to here or it doesn't count. Because the Bible says, and there's multiple scriptures, look up the tithe. The tithe went multiple places. Now, it is our responsibility if you don't do all of that and you give, praise God if you give your whole, I'm not saying you got to find all these places to give your money, but I'm saying praise God for the people who tithe 10% of the church. The church wouldn't be here if people didn't tithe. But we are allowed to bless other people. When God was saying bring the tithe in the storehouse, he wasn't just talking about LED walls and sound systems. He was talking about money that would, was so blessed it would spread across a region. And as I'm reading these scriptures, I'm like, oh my God, God, you got to help me because if I say this, no one's going to do it. And it, but God said, no, you got to trust me and tell people the truth. The truth. I think it's time we get a little bit more religious. We got to start helping people. Matthew 7, verse 23, 21 through 23 says this. Jesus says something really profound. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do, not just believe, do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On, on judgment day, and I want you to catch this context, many will say to me, they're, they're the ones doing the talking. And by the way, um, it's probably not a good idea if when Christ returns on judgment day, you do all the talking. Lord, I'm glad to see you. Your boy been out here killing it. I've been preaching, prophesying. One time a girl came up with a demon, blah, out, cast it out. Your boy been doing great. It's so good to see you. That's probably pride if when Christ returns, you're doing all the talking. He said, some will say to me, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. We, we cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get off me. Get away from me. I thought Jesus was accepting of everybody. No, but people who don't know him, but are ministering to build a platform, get away from me. And I want to encourage somebody today who's in a season where you're not really sure what you're doing for God. I want to submit to you that if you're sure when Christ get here that you could list all the things you did for him Because sometimes as we get mature, I'm just not sure. Am I making an impact? Am I making a difference? You know why? Because we're being conditioned by the world that it's got to be big. Which means everyone's got to know about it. Some of you are called to music. But you're not called for everyone to know about it. The mic fed back on that one like, oh, Lord. The mic was like, oh, Lord. Some of you are called to be an actor. That don't mean you're going to book something. We think our calling means acknowledgement from people. I used to think I was called to music, which means I thought I was called to be known for music. But one day, a few years ago, I wrote a song and I went home from writing a song and I was in tears because I felt called to music. 
And then everybody's like, well, what are you going to do with the song? What are you going to do with the song? You going to put it on Spotify and ask all your friends to repost it? No. I'm not called to be known for this. I'm just called to be with my father and create. Now, if you're called to be known for it, that means you're called to direct people to who you know. I ain't going to need this today. I feel like, are you tracking with me? This is so important because Matthew 25, verse 34 through 40 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. So notice these two passages of scripture. Jesus is returning in both passages. The first passage, the people do all the talking. This is what we did. And it, notice it's all church stuff. It's all church stuff. Look at all the stuff we did. This one, Jesus shows up and does the talking because the people are probably on their face, really worshiping. He says, man, come inherit the kingdom. Verse 35 says, for I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And in prison, this wasn't just, I'm going to go visit you. It, when you visited someone in biblical times in prison, when they were in prison, all they got was a roof. They would starve to death if someone didn't bring them food. They wouldn't have clothes if someone didn't bring them clothes. So you were bringing somebody something. But listen to their reply. Jesus is thanking them. And then the righteous one said, what are you talking about? Like, Lord, when did we see you? I think we spend so much time calling something a ministry and it should just be Tuesday. It's just what we do. It's not a ministry. It's just what we do. He said, Lord, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is encouraging and discouraging at the same time because I want to encourage some of you. You are discouraged because people are not acknowledging something heaven is acknowledging. This is for the person who feels mistreated. This is for the person who feels overlooked. This is for the person who feels like people are ungrateful. This is for the person who you don't, people don't understand everything you bring to the table and all that you do. The Bible says that heaven understands and Jesus might thank you for something that no one other human said thank you. And your purpose is not what humans say thank you for. Your purpose is something where Jesus would say Thank you. And it isn't interesting how if Jesus would say thank you, we would go for what? I want to challenge you. You might be struggling in your Christianity if Jesus came up to thank you and you went, I know exactly what this is about. <laughs> what was it? The conference? That Easter Sunday sermon? Huh? Oh, my book deal. So many people read that. I blessed so many people. Was it when my Instagram followers went up to 40-something thousand? Huh? Well, what was it? If Jesus would thank you, how humble is it to be like, for what? For what? Jesus wants to thank some of you today, and your answer is, 
but what? It reminds me of the woman that the Bible doesn't mention by name, but we all know the story of a boy who was used by God for a miracle. He had five loaves and two fish. I'm like, man, get a brother peanut butter and jelly. Like, he had five loaves and two fish, and uh, he was the only one that day that seemed to bring a lunch because they multiplied it and, and fed nearly 15,000 people, the Bible says. And it reminds me of a woman in the Bible who was not mentioned because I would imagine that in that culture, it was likely his mother made his lunch. You know, Jesus can be long-winded. Let me give my boy something to eat. As the Bible said, he's preaching all day. And so I could visualize her putting the five loaves and the, the two fish in the lunch for her little boy, and maybe she, she didn't go with them, and maybe the little boy left and was going off to hear Jesus preach, and she stood looking out the window going, what did I do with my life? How is God using me? Man, I, I want to do something big. I want to do something that people talk about for thousands of years. And she had. She was just a mom making her kid a lunch. And we're still talking about it for 3,000 years. Don't let the world convince you that just because they ain't talking about it now. I feel like I'm about to throw this binder. No, I need you to talk about it now or I don't have a purpose. Maybe they'll talk about it later. The Lord told me this recently because, to be honest, this is one of my biggest wrestles in life. I want to be so impactful. I want to be so purposeful because I've had so much pain in my life. I feel like purpose is what makes all that worth it. And so I'm hyper-excessed with purpose. And the Lord told me very clearly, if you're doing it right, people won't get it until you leave. Oh, man. It's too deep for you? You want to hear breakthrough? You want me here to tell you you're going to get a breakthrough? No, no, this life is not your own. We, we live for other people. People might misunderstand you for the rest of your life, but when you're gone, they might look back. Mark, Martin Luther King had a 28% approval rating, and now he has a holiday named after him. But everybody hated him, including black people. What do you mean love your enemies? No, we got to... But now everybody loves him. In hindsight, some people will be respected in hindsight. Some people will be acknowledged in hindsight after it's over. We got to continue to be faithful, and I think we got to get a little bit more religious. I feel like this message is going to help us take religious, religion back from the people who use it for politics, who use it to put down people that don't have their theology, who use it to marginalize people. This church is going to take religion back from those people, and we're going to have pure and perfect, and we're just going to help somebody. Help somebody. Can't be pro-life and you ain't pro-health. You can't. It's not possible. It's not possible. Yeah, don't do that, but don't, don't let them out. Don't let them out of jail because they did the crime. Oh and, the, oh, and the death penalty. Oh, and don't pay off the student loans. Oh, and build a wall. Don't. Uh, hey. I'm not saying my opinion. I'm saying what it says right here. The foreigners, the widows, and the orphans, you have to mobilize your whole life to help these people. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. I'm going to move on just in case it's a little too deep for you. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm coming for you, brother. 
Appreciate your support, brother. Appreciate you having my back. He put his arm up, too. He said, come on, Pastor. Hey, I'm coming, brother. I'm doing the best I can, man. It's like, our church is so hood. Come on with it. Saw somebody crip walking during oceans one time. Call me out into the water. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Call me out into the water. The water blue, cuz. I mean, I... He calling us out into the water because it's blue, cuz. Somebody here, what, what is he talking about? What, why is he saying cuz? His cousin's here? I didn't know he had a cousin. He's never brought him up before. Don't make me laugh. I got something to do. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12 says, make it your goal. Anybody got a dream? Anybody got a goal? Come on, goal setters, make some noise. But the Bible says, make it your goal to live a quiet life. What? That sounds like a life that ain't nobody talking about but God. Why do you think the Bible says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you? Because you're in a low place because people aren't acknowledging you for the things you're doing that honor God. So God sees that and exalts you and makes them look at you. He gives you a seat at the table in the presence of your enemies. So part of the reward for doing the things that God wants you to do is you get to eat with people who hate you. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Some of you are depressed because your life is too quiet. Well, you know, I can free you from, you're not doing anything big, but just make your goal to live a quiet life. And then this, mind, minding your own business. I'm going to say it again. I had another brother help me out. I'm going to say it again. Well done, good and faithful servant, comes from minding your business. And if you ain't careful, you're going to hear medium rare, good and faithful servant, because you ain't been minding your own business. Come on, y'all. Mind your own business. What is happening culture is none of your business. What other people do outside of the church is none of your business. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this. This is Paul. He wrote the Bible. 1 Corinthians 5.12. This is Paul talking, not me. He says, it is not my responsibility. I threw him off because I skipped. It's the one right after, right after 1 Thessalonians. I said 1 Thessalonians, but I'm skipping to 1 Corinthians. I know it has a one, but. I had to put the Moses arms out. Come, Scripture, on the screen in the name of the Lord. This is Paul. It is not my responsibility to judge, but it's certainly a responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So we're supposed to be unpacking like life in the church. In a loving way, we're supposed to be like, hey, I don't know about that, but outside the church, that's none of our. So then why are there so many Instagram persons? Stand for the truth. 
Are you going to stand for the truth, Pastor? No, I'm going to stand for people. And when the truth is what they need, the reason why I'm telling them is because I stand for them. God. And if I don't know you, how can I take a stand for you? And whoever I'm talking to is going to know, I'm not standing for truth. I'm standing for you, and the truth will set you free. So, yes, I'm standing for truth because I'm standing for you because I believe in you, and you need to hear the truth. But you don't just need to hear it. The Bible says the truth that you know will set you free. That word know is an actual intimate sexual term. So it means that you're supposed to provide spaces where people can be intimate in the truth, with the truth. You don't post the truth on Instagram because they don't have a chance to be intimate to it. They see it for 30 seconds and it leaves. So the truth that you told will put somebody in bondage. The truth that they know will set them free. No means let me give you something to think about on your own and you process it with God. And when you process the truth with God, I might not ever get to see you live that truth out, but the truth that you know will set you free. Mind your own business. Are we so busy calling people sinners that we haven't helped? We, it's time to get religious. Not the religious of the truth shouting, bashing people over the head of the Bible, but what the Bible says is religion is orphans and widows. I got to throw this tissue, man, because it, it almost came, man. I, I got to put these tissues in my pocket. From San Bernardino. I'm not from Hermosa Beach. Okay, I'm good. In uh, April, I went on this trip with this organization called Compassion International. And uh, I had never really gotten involved in an organization that sponsored children before. And so I got invited on this trip and they were going on a golf trip. And low key, I say yes, because they were going to Bandon Dunes in Oregon. And I was like, I don't know what they're gonna say, but if they're gonna invite me to play golf there, I'm going, your boy's going, that's the Lord. We get on this golf trip, man, and I'm, I'm staying in a cabin with a guy who works for Compassion. Uh, his name is Jay. And me and Jay had become really fast friends. Amazing guy. And just, he would talk about these kids and the places he had been. And, but he didn't talk about these kids like they were less than. He, it was so important to him. And he was always talking about these kids. And I'm trying, trying to, like, hit my driver. And he'd whisper something about the kids. And we're in the cabin. I'm like, let's go get some coffee. He's like, hey, let me tell you about these kids. Well, something weird happened the final night when we were there on Wednesday. Is he really leaned into me about this? And we stayed up till 1 a.m., talking about children all around the world, 1 a.m. And he was like, man, I, I need you, man. I need you. I'm like, man, like, I'm feeling kind of pressured. It was just weird. Because I didn't really feel like he was talking to everybody else like that. He's talking to me. And to be honest, at the time in the church, things were super heavy. I was super just overwhelmed. I really wasn't looking for another thing to do or another person to help if I'm being completely honest. But we stayed up till 1 a.m. talking about these kids. He's like, you got me? I was like, I got you. That night, we both go to sleep, and, and he coughed the whole night long, like it was a weird cough. It wasn't like COVID, it was just a, a it was weird. And I remember thinking, oh, man, that ain't, that don't sound good. We wake up in the morning, and honestly, it was, it was, 
he, he, he was pale, he didn't look good, and so we, we fly home, and he threw up on the airplane, he had a mask on, and so I text him at 10 o'clock at night. That night, I was like, hey man, you good? Yeah, I think I just came down with the flu. And I got a text the next morning that he passed away. And I was angry. Because I had enough going on. I got, I, I, my heart is for LA. And I feel like I had this like, burden put on me for, for these kids. make it um, oh great I'm gonna pull these out it's getting worse but me me and my family my wife found out about this at the uh, 930 service because she was watching online but we're gonna sponsor Lil Marcos he lives in Brazil um and then there's, look at this sweet baby girl, Anna Alice, who lives in Brazil. And this morning, we have an opportunity to have pure and perfect religion, and I have an opportunity to keep my word. 30 years from now, Oasis will be known for a lot of things, but one of the things we'll be known for is how we help children from all over the world. And uh, I didn't just choose compassion, because. He's my friend, but for 70 years, they've provided food and clean water and medical care and educational opportunities, important life skills, training, and the sponsored child gets to hear from G about Jesus because they, um, they usually plant churches in the area. And it's $43 a month. And if you wanted to sponsor more than one kid, you can too. So here's what I'm asking everyone to do, and this is what I believe pastors won't tell you. Many people in this room give to the church faithfully. Thank you so much. If you giving to the church has, it's a sacrifice for you. I'm so grateful. But you can deduct $43 from what you normally give to the church and help a kid. We'll be good. We'll, we'll trust God. Or if you sponsor two kids, deduct that from what you give to the church. Or maybe this is a place for you to start and you've never given anything to the church. I'm so glad you're here. I just want to help these kids. I want to keep my word, and I believe that God has called the church to operate in perfect religion. And you can do that because the Bible says in Deuteronomy that you can do that. We're good. So I want you to close your eyes. And uh, if you want to sponsor a sweet little girl like Anna or a sweet young boy like Marcos, I just want you to lift your hands right now and say, hey, Julian, like, I'm in. Just lift your hands high. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands high. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with a friend. To join us on the journey of being present, connected, and generous, visit oasisla.org connect. We love you so much, and we'll see you soon.